Well, good morning, or sorry, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. Isolation, handling isolation, because something that we all experience, this is independent of age, marital status, or anything. Let me say this right now from the get-go before we even launch this series. This will be emotional. This series will hit us differently. And, and even already, even from the time we announced it last week that we're going to do this series, some of you guys said, like, I need this series and I'm looking forward to it because it, it hits a soft spot in all of us. And maybe let's not start off on a good foot here. Let me make things ten times worse, all right? Let me make things ten times worse. Does anyone know who this is, by the way? Huh? Say his name again. I, I might be mispronouncing his name, but anyone, anybody know? Yeah, go ahead. Very good, very good. Is that, is that the name you were saying? His, so his name is Dr. Vivek Murthy. He's Surgeon General. You're right. Vivek Murthy. Dr. Vivek Murthy. Anyway, so he is the U.S. Surgeon General. He is the U.S. Surgeon General. So in May 2023, earlier this year, Dr. Vivek Murthy declared, or not declared, he published an article, and this was the title of the article, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. And I mentioned this uh, during the time when I first came out because literally, I'm not kidding, the same, the exact same week in which uh, the, the, we said the pandemic or is, is, has subsided and COVID is where we're, we've moved past COVID. Is the exact same week U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy published this article titled An Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. So we said, okay, we're done with the word pandemic, and now we're moving on to another epidemic about loneliness. All right, so forgive me. I know this is probably not the best way to start a sermon and definitely not the best way to start a series, but I want to share with you some of the highlights of this 80-page article, all right? So bear with me. There's six points I want to highlight and share with all of you. Point number one, the results of this article in which Dr. Vivek uh, published is independent of anyone's socioeconomic status, marital status, age, or even geographical location. And common terms that we came up from the survey and all the research of this epidemic that he is declaring is people felt isolated, insignificant, and even invisible at times. These were the common words that people were using to describe how they felt. These feelings existed even before COVID, but obviously COVID made things 10 times worse, so he published it right in May of this, of this year. But people were already feeling this, and COVID obviously made it time, 10 times worse. Hear me, this is an awesome stat here. Well, it's not awesome, but it's kind of sad, but it was really eye-opening. Uh, here's, here's a stat that came from the article. Over the past 50 years, people have spent 20% more time alone over the past 50 years, humanity, America in specific, that's what the study is. People have spent 20 times more time alone over the past 50 years. Because 50 years, I mean, at least, well, not, not 50 years ago, but when I was a kid, like, you know, what do you do after school? You don't know if you're, you want to see where to hang out. What do you do? You open your door 
and you figure out where all the bikes are, right? And that's where you know that, that's the place to be. That's where all the kids are playing video games. That's the, that's the house to hang out with. But that's not the case anymore. So over the past 50 years, for many different reasons, of course, social media, of course, the internet, but even entrepreneurship, is they were saying is one of the main reasons because now more than ever people are saying I want to be my own boss I want to do my own thing I don't want to be you know under someone right that more of that drive of individuality if, you know for good or bad take it however you wish but this is what the statistics are showing that over the past 50 years people are spending 20% more time alone than they were 50 years ago another sad stat and this is not news to you we have the highest suicide rates and human history. We have the highest suicide rates in recorded human history. Another stat, 25% of Gen Z, which is those born between the year 1981 and 1996, are clinically depressed. 25% of Gen Z is clinically depressed. Not just, you know, seasonal, you know, I'm down or something. It's not related to external circumstances. 25% of Gen Z are diagnosed as clinically depressed. Another one, mental struggles are clearly correlated to physical ailments. Mental struggles are clearly related to physical ailments. Now they're able to look at the studies that anxiety, depression, and stress have given birth to increased heart disease, dementia, and diabetes. There's a clear correlation between physical like my mental struggles and how it manifests itself physically. And last but not least, the lack of social connection in which we experience now, the impact this has on our physical health, according to Dr. Vivek from the, uh, from the thing, is equivalent to smoking, let me get this right, 15 cigarettes a day. The lack of social connection, the impact and toll and burden this has on our physical health the studies have shown this is equivalent to the impact and burden this has on our health as if we were to smoke 15 cigarettes a day. So they can look at two studies of, of, of two pairs of lungs and, and, and someone who smokes 15 cigarettes a day and someone who just purely has social connections uh, you know, online, they work from home, and, and, and most of their connections is just online. And the correlation between the, the two is their, their, their health, their physical health looks the same because of the lack of social Connection. <laughs> nothing new here. For most of us, there's nothing new. We get this. Like, we feel the burden of loneliness more now than ever in human history. And I'm not, sit, I'm not believe me, I'm not here to, like, you know, sit there, the, the social media is the devil, the internet's the devil. I'm not, I'm not, not, that, I'm not saying that. But if we're honest with ourselves, this has a lot this has a lot to do with our loneliness and isolation. But even the studies that I shared, none of, none of this comes to a shock to you. Everything that the U.S. Surgeon General has, has, has put on this article, describing it, and, and, and he's not exaggerating, an epidemic, an epidemic. The, the, you know, there's nothing new. This hasn't, this hasn't surprised you. This hasn't shocked you. Let's talk about anthropology for a second. Divine anthropology. When you look at the creation, the narrative that we have and the record of the creation of humanity, we see that the triune God, God, who is in one essence 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if this is your first time hearing it, totally fine. Just bear with me. I want to just say at a high level that there is something common and a foundation in Christian um, worldview is Trinitarian theology. Trinitarian theology is us understanding God is, is in one essence but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what we have from the creation narrative, we read this. We're God, the Holy Trinity. He says this in a plural way. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Why? Let's go with the Greek for a second. For God, who is already in, for lack of better terms, he's already a relational being. God, who already, in essence, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's already, him being plural, in, like he's, he's using a plural language, he's saying, let us make humanity in the icon of us. The, the Greek is image, is icon, is icon. So God, the Holy Trinity, is saying, let us make man, humanity, to be the icon of the fullness of the Holy Trinity, of us as being three persons. So you are created beautifully and immaculately from creation to be the icon of God. Let me add it, make it, make it more full. You are created to be the icon of the Holy Trinity. Beautifully created, immaculately created, strategically created to be the icon of God. In ancient Christianity, icons are a big deal for us. But it's not about the paper. It's not about the, the paint. It's not about any of that stuff. I mean, we just printed this stuff at Kinko's. They're just, they're just, they're, they're paper. But the icons give us a window into the divine. They're not paintings. They're not paintings. This is why we specifically use the word icon. Because they're, not a paint, they're not intended to look realistic. This is why they look kind of funny, to be honest. And, and they, they're intended to look funny because they're not intended to be realistic. They're not paintings. But they're an icon that give a window, a reflection of the reality and beauty of God. In the same way, you are a reflection beautifully made to be the image and icon. I want to use, use the word icon. The icon of the Holy Trinity. But why does the Holy Trinity say that let us make humanity in our image and in our likeness? Like, what, what, is it redundant? What, what's the whole deal? Why not just say made in the icon of God? And, um, yeah, why, 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 don't just, why not step at icon? You and I are created to be in the icon of God, in the image of God. But we have work to do to move more into that direction. So this is that we're moving into the likeness of God. This is us moving in that direction. For example, Michael Jordan. Well, I need to stop using that. It's LeBron James. Let's, let's get modern, okay? So LeBron James, he's the man, right? He's a great, great basketball player. He has a son named Bronny, right? Bronny has the same genetic makeup as his dad. But just because he has the same genetic makeup as his dad doesn't mean he's automatically become an all-star, right? Like, he, he's still trying to figure out, like, this whole basketball thing, right? He's just starting basketball in college. So just because he's the son of an all-star doesn't make him all of a sudden to be one of the greatest of all times. He has to work. He has, it has to develop. He has the genetic makeup, so he has the potential, but he has to move in that direction. You and I are made to be the icon of God. But it's not like we just sit there, yeah, cool, I'm the icon of God, I'm the best. No, we have work to continue to move in that direction, to move in the direction of being more like him in every capacity. This is divine anthropology. Moving on in this creation narrative, the Lord God said, <laughs> here's a dilemma. 
this ain't good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And if this is your first time reading it or your hundredth time reading it, do not limit this to being a marriage thing. Do not limit this to be a marriage thing. For God, the Holy Trinity, now he's saying, we have a dilemma. This is even before sin has entered into the world. Think about this for a second. This is before deception has creeped into humanity, before that has been abused and started to screw things up. We're, we're not even there yet, right? That, that comes later. That's the next page. But already from the beginning, God is saying, this ain't good. We have a dilemma. There's a dilemma that needs to be resolved before we move forward on, as far as what happens in the rest of this love story. There's a dilemma that needs to be addressed. God says it is not good for man to be alone. So God is saying, time out. This is awesome. Everything, this is good, 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 good. But this ain't, this, this is not good. This is not good. Everything else is good. This is awesome. But this is not good. God, who is relational in nature, the essence of who he is is relational, looked at humanity, looked at man, and said something is missing. If you are intended to be the icon of God, you are not intended to be alone. You will fall short if you try to do this alone. So there is a dilemma in which God instantly has to resolve in order for it to go from not good to very good. Uh, amuse me. Batman and... Thank you. Come on. Buzz and... Woody. Yeah, Buzz and Woody. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Buzz and Woody. Jordan and... Pippin, thank you. Peanut butter and... That has, that has nothing to do with it, but I just wanted to see if you were with me. My point is this. At a psychological level, at a head thing, maybe you're not bought into all the theology stuff, that's fine. Put that aside. You're, that's cool. You, you want to zone out from that, that's fine. At a psychological level, we lean in toward partnerships, right? I mean, from my childhood, like, you know, me getting Batman is cool and playing with the whole Gotham City set and his car, oh, that's cool. But he needs a partner in crime. So I, I, so I needed to make sure that I had Robin with me. Like, you, any narrative you see in sports, because I, I love sports, you, you, heart, you, you never see Steph Curry by himself, right? There's always his, 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 his team as a whole. It was always Jordan and Pippen. This is not just a sports thing. This is not like a superhero thing. But at, at, there's an innate thing within us. We lean in toward partnerships. How many of you have seen a commercial of Coke, of somebody just sitting by himself like this and drinking a Coke uh, and, and, just, and then smiling at the camera and then it fades out and that's it? No. You, what do you, you always see them with other people because they're leaning in toward your psyche. Your psychology and my psychology, we register and process when we see relationships. We lean in toward that. So, the, at, 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 so this is a human, it's not a Hollywood thing. It's not Buzz and Woody and Jordan Pippin and, and what other silly example, Batman and Robin. It ain't about that. Yeah, we lean in toward that because we get it. We like partnerships. We lean in toward that because this is an innate hunger by the divine designer. It's not good for Batman to be by himself. It's not good for Jordan to be by himself. There has to be a partnership. At a biological level, that's a psychological level. At a biological level, the study that came from the, the article that, um, I keep on forgetting his name, uh, Dr. Uh, Vivek Murthy. It, it, so with the Surgeon, Inter uh, the Surgeon General, U.S. Surgeon General, right? That's what he said. This, this is what came from the article. The people who were most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest when they were 80 years old. 
again, the people who were the most satisfied in the relationships at the age 50 were the healthiest physically when they were 80 years old. So again, I'm showing example after example how all of this is holistic. All of this is connected. Like, it, spirituality is not just this one little thing I do on Sunday or this little thing I do in the morning. It's all connected. It's threaded together. This is how beautiful your divine designer has created you and me and threaded us together. That everything is connected and science continues to echo what the divine designer has already established. And again, I have to reiterate again because it, it, it really hits home to me. The lack of social connection of the, um, on the physical health, the impact it has is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I wasn't alive during the time, but there was a time where f physicians recommended uh, a certain brand of cigarettes. I don't, I don't know, some, some, of us, some of you might be old enough to remember that, but there was this thing, I watched this the movie with, with Sarah, my wife, about uh, I Love Lucy, like the, the, I can't remember what it was called, but when we saw it, they had a, they had a clip where Doctors would say, you know, Dr. X recommends Marvel, recommends, you know, certain uh, cigarettes. So there was a moment in time in history where physicians were recommending cigarettes. And this is before we knew anything, right? But because with, with, with the information they had at the time, they thought cigarettes weren't, were not a big deal. But then as, as the decades went on, we realized that this is, this is causing cancer. In the same way, the epidemic of loneliness, which we kind of see is kind of an issue, I hate to say this, and I hate to be pessimistic, but I'm scared that we're not seeing the full fruits and the outcome of it right now. Unless we address it now, there will be a time where we look back and say, like, yeah, this is causing cancer. Just as they did the same thing with cigarettes. In the beginning, it was no big deal. It was socially, it, it was a norm. It was, it, was, it was no big deal. But then later on, we found out, no, we gotta stop this. <laughs> Doctors should be doing the exact opposite of recommending cigarettes in the same way. I don't think we realize, again, 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 hear me out. Please do not leave today and thinking, oh, Father Nay is just, you know, bashing social media. I'm on social media. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. But I wonder if we understand the repercussions that is happening to us at a deep level. And, and let me share this. You know, I, so far in priesthood, sometimes the bishop assigns me to, to help with, uh, like, divorce cases in the church. And, you know, husband and wife and, you know, his story, her story. And so, you know, there's a council. It's not just me, but other multiple priests. And there's elder priests, and I'm with them, and we, we try to help them out and stuff like that. As gone as my witness, not once, not a single case of marital issues that led to divorce or on the verge of divorce, not once has there not been a case where the words social media is not mentioned. The word social media is mentioned somewhere in the entire conversation with the tears and the yelling and the crying and the whatever, the attorney. Social media is there. Again, hear me out. I'm not saying it's the devil. But I wonder if we understand the impact it has on us on such a deep level or not. Cornell University did a study that one in four people have estranged family members. One in four people have estranged family members, which is echoing something which is common now in our post-Christian American culture, which is, I block them, I block him, I block her, I'm done with her. We spiritualize it. Yeah, we, we, we add a nice flower background to an Instagram post, and we say, you know, time for you to move on, you should block him, block her, and you're done with them. And this is where you hear all the cute phrases and terminology, at least from what I understand, so I, oh, that person ghosted me, right? I, if I understand it right, that the person stopped talking to you. So these terms are now becoming more prevalent 
because it's now more common and acceptable and even sometimes encouraged. You should block him. You should block her. Hear me out. There are some times where it is appropriate to block, other, uh, to block him. So I'm not just saying it's wrong. Sometimes it's appropriate when it comes to that situation. But now it has become, that's the normal thing. I'm done with that friend. I'm done with that person. I block him. I block her. And we see it now that manifests in marriage. It kills me. The amount of people that just tell me, well, you know, I, I, again, women, please, I'm not saying it's a you thing. It's, it's a men and women thing. But I hear from both sides. They would say, well, I've given so much of my life and I've sacrificed my career for my wife, for my husband, and I've given so much for my kids. And so, and they go, but it's time for me to take care of myself. It's time for me to do what's best for me. And we spiritualize it and to make us feel good inside that I'm not really that bad. And, and I see posts. Sarah shares me these posts on, on these mom Facebook groups of, of, of moms saying, sometimes co-parenting is the best thing to happen to your kids. Come on. We're, we, we're over-spiritualizing the idea of me to cut something and move forward. I mean, this is not just a marriage thing. Hear me out. This is a, this is a social health thing I'm talking about. But that, that mindset of move on past that person is seeping into every aspect of our social health. The whole idea of going the extra mile for someone, like, it's, it's not there. You block them, you move forward, you're done with that person. Yes, it exists in marriage, but it happens in the workplace, it happens in every capacity when it comes to our social life. Enough psychology stuff, let's bring in a little bit of Jesus here. When Jesus comes into the picture in human history, something that was radical at the time was how relationally driven he was. Like this was so radical for any worldview. It's not humanity trying to come to the divine, but the divine, the, the divine put on skin to be relational. When the followers of Jesus, who some of them were still skeptics and they're trying to figure out who Jesus is exactly, they would see Jesus sometimes go to the side and spend some time alone. And they got curious, like, what on earth is he doing? So they asked him one time, like, Jesus, what, what are you doing? Like, I, we notice sometimes you go in the morning and you spend some quiet time alone and then you come back. What are you doing? Like, what, what's, what, what are you doing? And Jesus tells them, well, I'm praying. And they ask, okay, well, we're Jewish men. We know how to pray. We know the Psalms. We know the Torah. So what are you praying that's different than us? So Jesus says, okay, hear me out. Let me tell you how you should not pray. And he gives a whole list of how not to be externally driven when you, when you pray. It's about the inner life. And then he tells them, okay, here's a rubric. Here's a template of how you should pray. And then Jesus makes it super clear about, about this prayer. So Jesus, the very first words, the very first words that he says in his native tongue, he says, okay, when you pray, I want you to pray in this manner saying, Dad. That's the very first words. The very first words of this prayer template in which we know as being the Lord's Prayer, the very first words that Jesus tells his disciples, that it begins with a relationship. It's not Yahweh anymore. It's not, oh God, the good, the great, the eternal. There's nothing wrong with all that. But what's the driving force is a relationship. We say formally, Father, but the Father doesn't do it justice. At least, I don't know anybody here that you go to your, your, your biological dad and you say, Father, this, it's dad. It's more intimate. It's more casual. It's more, it's, more, it's more intimate. And this is the word that Jesus drives to his disciples, that it is Father. It is dad. We have four records of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of them are eyewitnesses, and some did extensive, comprehensive research on understanding the life of Jesus by interviewing various people. 
But I want to share with you a dialogue in which occurred between Jesus and other followers recorded by a first eyewitness by the name of Matthew. He says this. Someone told Jesus, him, hey, your mom and your brothers, they're standing outside. They're wanting to speak to you. So, so we can set the scene. Jesus is like in a big circle. He's hanging out with a bunch of people because he's relationship driven. So he's connecting with other people. And then some, some of the disciples come and they whisper to Jesus and they pull him aside. Hey, Jesus, you have a second. Come here. Your, your, your mom and, and your brothers are outside and they're waiting. You know, they're, they're waiting for you. They're, they're wanting to speak to you. How does Jesus respond? Jesus replied to him, who is my mom? Who are my brothers? And he points to the, those who are around him, his disciples. And he says, here is my mom. Here are my brothers. Here is my family. Hear me out on this. Don't read this and think, Oh, so I need to disown my biological family. I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying this. And that Jesus definitely, definitely, Jesus is not saying that. But what is Jesus saying? That those in whom I abide in and I connect with, those are, that this is, a, this is true divine friendship. This is what I'm designing. It's not necessarily just by name or like I'm connected to this person, related to the person. That's important. But the, the true desire of what makes some, make me connected to someone is us doing life together. So this is the point Jesus is making. It's not necessarily the formality of who is like my mom and who's my, um, you know, my cousins or, or other relatives. No, it's those on whom I share life with. There's nothing wrong with having friends that you do li like you, you know, go to a concert together, or, you know, you, um, you know, whatever. Like there's nothing wrong with any of that like to do stuff together with someone. There's nothing wrong with that. That's important. That's, a, that's an ele essential element to our social life. But it cannot stop there. Like, it cannot just be like, hey, you, you want to you go, you know, go out together? You want to go grab food together? And it's just this, right? You just don't want someone to do it with, right? So it's just this, right? Because I, I need someone to have, I need to have a friend, so we'll do it together. I scratch your, uh, I'm going to scratch your back, you scratch my back. And it's kind of this thing right here, right? It's just this. It's cool. But there's still something missing. Like, have you ever been in those social gatherings where you, it's just this, uh, some type of social gathering, party, whatever, and it's just this, and you get back home, and you still kind of feel empty because you're missing something more. We are missing something more. By divine design, it's not just a friendship that's this, but it's a friendship that's moving in this direction. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, who am I, who, who's my mom? Who's my brother? Who's my family? It's those in whom I am, we're, we're, we're coming closer to God together. This is what fills in that void more than anything else. Sure, find a friend to go to the Beyonce concert with. Have a friend to go to whatever with. Sure, cool. But at the end of the day, you still need a friend that, that fills in that more, that deep desire, that spirituality that your soul is in need of. If we want to admit it or not, we're looking for something so much more. Even for me personally. Like, even, this is not a priesthood thing, even before a uh, priesthood. Like, even my friends now are those in whom I serve with the closest. Because it's not about ministry, but we're, we're moving closer to God together. There's, there's momentum. We're moving together in this direction. It's not just this. And studies show even in marriage, too. If it's just marriage of like, oh, I just need someone to complete me or someone just to, uh, you know, like this or just file joint taxes together or whatever the agenda might be. This has, this has an expiration date. But if we're moving together toward the kingdom, this is what leads to a, more, a, a higher level of fulfillment in every capacity, if you know what I mean. 
there's a higher level of capacity and intimacy and fulfillment when we're moving together toward the same direction. This is why when you look at Jesus' life and his ministry, he didn't just sit there and say, guys, okay, you know, from 9 to 10, we're going to have sermon A, and then 10 to 11, we're going to have sermon B. No, it wasn't just a bunch of sermons and speeches. Yes, of course, he did teach, but he did life with them. He went fishing with them. He had dinner with them. He told Matthew in today's gospel, hey, can I come over? Can we have a house party? He told Zacchaeus, hey, come down. What's your address? Let's, let, uh, can I come over? It was connections. It was doing life together. This is, this, this, this is what feeds our soul more than anything else. Come on, those that you have, been connect, you have been touched with and influenced by the most, it's not by a sermon or what they said. It's how you connected with them, of how you did life with them. You have been influenced by them because they met you where you were and, 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 and connected with you at a deeper level. It has nothing to do with their words or sermons or lectures or any of that kind of stuff. Even if you look at the first century church, the language was familial in nature. Where St. Peter is saying, I, we have been adopted into his kingdom. We have an inheritance. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Now, a relationship-driven language is embedded into the very fabric of the Christian world view. And even the plurality language takes, it, 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 you know, comes in the first century expression of communal worship, liturgical worship. We believe in one God. Have mercy on us. It's plural. Because we are never in isolation. Historians do not know who said this quote, but it is a common thing in the early centuries. One Christian is no Christian. It's a common saying. We don't know who said it specifically, but we see it in early uh, manuscripts and the early churches. The idea of one Christian is no Christian. For you to be in isolation as an individual, by the way, even the etymology of the word individual means someone who is divided and separated. Individual. We're a person. That needs other persons. The whole idea of one Christian is no Christian. We're not intended to be alone. And St. Paul drives this to inspire one another, love one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, blank one another, everything with something one another. Because we need one another in order to move toward the fullness of God, the Holy Trinity. Sometimes we are tempted to look for relationships that are practical, functional, and transactional. Our brokenness, our selfishness, if we want to be honest with ourselves, is that's our drive. And unfortunately, some people move toward marriage with that being their agenda as well. Practical, functional, transactional. What are you going to do for me, and I'll do something for you? That has an expiration date. We look for something that's efficient, but it ends up being insufficient. Dr. Vivek Murthy ends his article by saying this. If we fail to build a more connected society and live more connected lives, we will pay an ever-increasing price in the form of our individual and collective health and well-being. My last point is this. What should the church do about this? The church, we're at a place in society and human history where we are called to rise to the occasion to, to offer this remedy, and the remedy is the person of Jesus, to fill in that void. People are looking for belonging. People are wanting to be accepted in belonging to something so much bigger than someone to go eat out with, 
They're looking for something more. We, as a church, how are we designing the church in every capacity? Even architecturally, we're keeping this in mind as we're building the, our future church home building, God willing, for the, we're keeping all this in mind. How is our spaces maximizing relationships? Because people, when they walk in the door, they're looking for something more. My last, last point. I remember when Sarah, my wife, and I, when we got married 13 years ago, and our first year of marriage was um, not nice. It was tough. It was very tough. I was still in school. She was working at Starbucks as a barista, and we're living in D.C., and it was tough. It was tough. And I remember a turning point for our marriage. We felt definitely isolated. It was like we, this is home. It's our first time, you know, we were living in D.C. Like we, we didn't know anybody. Once we got connected to the church there, and she got connected to other women who were recently married, I remember it was night and day difference. For her, when she got connected to groups, I, I'm, I'm a hypocrite because I was busy at school, but when she got connected to, to, like, to a women's group in church, she realized, I'm not the only one who felt like I made a mistake in my life. <laughs> she, like, she felt like, she felt like she's part of something. And it was a huge difference in our marriage because she felt like, I'm not alone in this. This is the power of the church not to be transactional, to come in, grab my coffee, or go in and have communion, and jet out, and say, oh, I took a nice blessing today. Is really? Is, is that the mission of the first century church that Jesus established? To come in and just do that and call it a day? This is our chance for the church to shine. Everything I shared is nothing new. We understand our loneliness and isolation impacts us at a deep level, even physically. But over the next several Sundays, as we continue this series, we'll go through steps that we can take to heal the loneliness that's within us. Practical tactics in which we can use. But for now, for us to loan, you are not alone in loneliness, I'm not alone in loneliness, but we can do this together through the power of God and his church. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, you have promised us that you will not leave us as orphans, but you are always there to take us in as your children. Lord, even in our darkest, loneliest times, Lord, we know that you are there and you will never abandon us. Lord, open our mind and our heart throughout this series for us to see the importance of our social health, the importance of us needing one another in order for us to fight the struggles of isolation and loneliness. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys. Hope, have a great week, and hope to see you guys.